Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. Today is the 1st of May 2023 and we are bringing you a special May Day broadcast. This is 3CR Community Radio and streaming live as I said. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are advised that this show content contains audio images of deceased persons. Happy May Day from 3CR. Every year we join communities from around the world in celebrating the achievements of the labour movement and showing solidarity with the continued struggle for labour rights and fair working conditions for everyone. Tune in to hear unique workplace perspectives from Aboriginal communities protecting and rehabilitating country, Palestinian workers' rights, the history of May Day campaign updates, community events and much, much more. The day is about linking up different histories with current actions, initiatives and campaigns aimed at changing inequalities and dismantling systems of oppression. This May Day broadcast will explore stolen wages, slavery and the inequalities between Indigenous and non-Indigenous workers, drawing upon lived experience. We will bring you two extended interviews today. First up, we'll hear from Marion McKay, First Nations woman, activist and advocate from Western Australia. Marion is a much-loved part of the Doin' Time show. We have done many interviews with her over the years. She will discuss the inequalities between Indigenous and non-Indigenous workers, particularly speaking about the criminal justice system and how prison and detention creates barriers to work. She will also talk about lived experience and how important this is in tackling decarceration. Next, we will yarn with Karen Stewart Ashton, uh, First Nations First Nations activist and president of the Black People's Union, about the atrocious history of forced labour and stolen wages and slavery of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. He has made a fabulous contribution to activism and is on the speaker platform for the May Day Rally being organised for 5.30 this afternoon at the State Library of Victoria, 328 Swanson Street, Melbourne. It's May Day 2023 and colonisation and the settler state are still in dominance. Aboriginal people are still being incarcerated more so than our non-Indigenous brothers and sisters. Employment is a distant dream for people who have been incarcerated People are still dying in custody. Women and children suffer because of stolen generation. 
On the line, we have Marion McKay, and I'd like to welcome her with all my heart. Hello, sis. Hey, Kaya, sis. Thanks for having me. Lovely to have you. So, tell us, what's what's going on with, with work and Indigenous people? Lived experience is important, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's one thing, you know. It doesn't matter what gathering we go to or forums, conferences. That's one of the things that we always promote is that, you know, people with lived experience, you know, have as good a qualification as someone with a degree because, you know, lived experience is far more valuable than someone who's just learning from a a textbook, you know. Um, And I don't say that to discredit anyone because I'm doing a law degree myself. But what my point in saying that is that we have a lot of issues and a lot of problems that are going on, you know, especially within the criminal justice system. And time and time again, um, the government roll out these policies and these programs and provide these services that just don't benefit anyone because they're not actually yarning with the people who live and breathe this stuff. And who better to provide solutions to problems or issues than the people that are actually living through them? That's exactly right. And, and I mean, you and I were talking on off, off air today about how women and children, you know, suffer the most and they're all in prison juvenile justice. How can they have good quality of work, life and, and also work? Well, yeah, that's right. You know, like, and I remember we were yarning about how you have men, women and, and children you know, going through the prison system and through detention, you know, and a lot of people are having those barriers put up where they can't get work, where, you know, they would be able to benefit those that are walking the path that they have before, you know, after them. And this is what we always say to the Department of Justice and to other government departments. Things like working with children checks and the police clearances are barriers you know, to people that have criminal records, you know, and these are the mob that would make the best mentors, you know, and provide, um, you know, like information for policy change and things like that. And yet, because they can't get a police clearance or they can't get a working with children check, there are a lot of job opportunities that they miss out on where they would actually be qualified for those roles, you know. That's exactly right. And isn't it too that some... Aboriginal people, you know, wouldn't even have a birth certificate because of what happened with the missions. Well, that's right. You know, so you would have a lot of people. And this is where licences and all those kind of things, licences, ID and stuff, passports, you know, people aren't getting access to these because they don't have birth certificates. You know, and it's hard because my two oldest have birth certificates, but the youngest five don't because they're my sovereign babies. But because my son has passed his learner's check through the Keys for Life at school, through part of our Clontarf Aboriginal football program, and I actually have to go and register him and get a birth certificate because he can't get his licence or his learner's permit to get his full licence without it. And that's just a birth certificate. It's like there's got to be ways around it, around all these things, you know. But you have mob that, you know, have... Like, my nan never had a birth certificate till I was 15. And you know, is... so there's a lot of lot of things like that that are just wrong and, and should be worked around, you know. There should be ways around them. Why, just so that listeners, to, to tell some listeners, 
um, probably wouldn't be aware of this. Can you explain why some, particularly elders, don't have birth certificates? Well, because a lot of um, births were registered were registered through the missions, um, you know, like in the churches that were part of the missions, they documented um, a lot of this stuff. And so a lot of that information has either been lost or sealed, you know, and people don't have access to them. A lot of people, you know, you've got to actually apply to get your native welfare record and go through all these permissions and all this paperwork. And a lot of people have literacy and numeracy issues as well to be able to do that. And there's not a lot of support out there. And also, like, the government didn't want our population to continue to grow and prosper and and exist. Their plan was the White Australia policy to wipe us out. So if there was no records of existence, well, then they could just hide all those those babies that were born and keep them in the missions and introduce them to a life of slave labour. And it's still the same today, isn't it? Just in a different form. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. Like, you've got people being ripped off, you know, for their wages. You've got um, people in prisons and that, you know, being used as slave labour and getting a measly sum, you know, for their work. Like, so they could be getting a couple of dollars an hour for something that someone with a trade is getting 25 to $35 an hour for. And they're, they're selling products from outside, you know, from the prisons, and yet the people that are making them aren't benefiting. It's the prison system and all these private corporations that are getting contracts from the government to privatise these services and and provide those services for a profit. It's very true, and and pretty soon, you know, and we're going to be talking with uh, with Karen from the Black People's Union, and we're going to talk about some of that stuff about about stolen wages. But I'm really glad that you've come onto the show just to talk about. Inequalities, because I mean, our non-Indigenous brothers and sisters don't need to worry about some of that. Although, although they're in poverty too, we can't we can't dispute that. But yeah. at least they have, you know, birth certificates. Well, that's right. You know, and you have a lot of mob that have criminal records just because they were in a mission. You know, or Correct. some of those places. You know, so they were born into a life of so-called criminality. You know, and it's like it's not a crime to be born Aboriginal in this country. It shouldn't be a be a crime to be an Aboriginal person anyway. We're stereotyped and profiled, and it goes right back to when our people. Hang on, honey, mum's on the phone. And it goes right back to when our people were forced to work. You know, in those slave labour days, and then as soon as our people fought for their rights to be paid. Then you had a lot of them being dismissed and losing their jobs because there was a lot of racism back then, way, way worse than what it is today, even though it's still bad, where white farmers didn't want to pay the blacks for work because they seen them as menial labour, like slaves, you know? And they and a lot of non-Aboriginal people wouldn't realise that Australia was part of the slave system and our Aboriginal people were used as slaves. You know, as wet nurses to to watch kids, to clean white people's houses and and work their farms and clear the land that was sacred to our people, you know, and, and, you know, used as black trackers. I am just so relieved that you've talked about that because that's such a really, really important thing to say, important things to say, I should say. And it's, 
it's just so important. Well, it is, because a lot of the true history in this country isn't told. And, you know, the government always say that they're committed to a truth-telling process, you know, and it's like, well, where is your truth-telling process? Because all I see, you know, like is another um, recognised campaign being pushed in our face through the voice to Parliament. But that's a whole other issue. Well, you know? it's connected. It is connected. Well, it is connected, but I say no to the voice to Parliament because we've already got national bodies that provide representations and their voices are ignored at the moment. So being in the Constitution is not going to change that, you know. There's no power. We don't have any legislative power under the voice to Parliament, so the government can just say, thanks for that, no worries, we'll look into it. Marianne, as usual, you have outdone yourself. Thank you so much for making everything so clear. Because it's it's oh, it's so important. No, you're right, sis. You know, I've got plenty sitting up in my head. I'm always happy to have a yarn, you know. <laughs> what <laughs> la- can you tell us what land you're from as well, just so that we could you know, listeners can find that out. Oh uh, yeah, I'm from Nyunga Buja, Nyunga country in the southwest of WA, so um I'm from Wajak country. Like that's where my main bloodline and physical connection is. So I live in Kunana, which is about half an hour um south of Perth. So it's like you... a little country town, but it's still metropolitan. Perfect. Now, I'll let you go and go do your school pick-up. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Yeah, no, nah, no worries. I've got a three-year-old to rescue here. He's upset. <laughs> oh, okay. Enjoy. <laughs> Happy right, May Day. Yes, okay. Okay. Yeah, you too. See ya. Thanks. And that was Marianne McKay um, speaking about... A lot of things, really, oppression and the inequalities between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people and really looking a lot about the true Aboriginal history of this country and the fact that there is slavery. And this is something we're going to be talking about with Karen on this, very, like next up from the Black People's Union, on this very, very special May Day broadcast. From Iran to the Americas, the Pacific to Palestine, and here in so-called Australia, people are standing up for freedom and liberation. This May Day at Melbourne State Library, join the voice of Revolution Iran Melbourne, the Black People's Union, renegade activists, unionists, and people from all over the world as we stand together in understanding that we are all in this together. A lineup of speakers and music from around the world demanding justice and celebrating our common struggles and our common humanity will be announced on the event page soon. You can find the event by searching May Day for Freedom and Liberation on Facebook. May Day for Freedom and Liberation, 5.30pm, Monday 1st of May at State Library, Victoria. A 3CR community radio supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show and we've got a special May Day broadcast um, here as well. And next up, we're going to be speaking with Karen, who is the president of the Black People's Union. And the Black People's Union is for First Nations people, whether employed, unemployed, incarcerated, on country, off country, remote or urban. And it fights for sovereignty, freedom and self-determination, which is to be established via a real treaty between all Indigenous people. We're going to be speaking with Karen presently about the atrocious history of forced labour and stolen wages and the fact that there is slavery in this country. Hello, Karen. Welcome to the program. Hi. How are you going? 
Good and you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks. Get, getting ready for the May Day, May Day action today? Yeah, we're setting up um, in about 15 minutes. Fantastic, minutes. fantastic. So tell us about, you know, what you what you feel and, and also what you've um, experienced and read about and, you know, what, what the Black People's Union basically, how do I say this, um, what is it about, about slavery that really gets to you in this country? Can you tell us a bit about the history? Um, yeah, yeah, there's a few things I can talk about about this. Um, so I suppose, like, one of the big things that kind of gets to me is how here in Australia we don't refer to it as slavery. Um, Australia, you know, people in Australia often associate slavery with, say, the United States of America. But what a lot of people don't realise is we had slavery just the same as America right here in Australia. Um, You know, we've got a long history of it going right back to colonisation. And it's not something that's just been passed down by word of mouth from us mob either. It's a very documented thing. There's um, legislation people can go and, like, read up themselves, um, pass legislation both before and after Australia's Federation that talks about treatment of slaves, um, how, you know, these people could be hunted down if they uh, left the job site without permission and the sort of different punishments that they could be subjected to. There was a whole bunch of um, legislation and stuff. But, um, yeah, I suppose uh, to get into it a bit more, here in Australia we had a few different races and ethnicities that were subjected to slavery throughout different points of our history. Um, it began in the mid-1800s. It continued in different forms right up until the 1970s. Uh, it involved plantations. There was cattle ranches. There was mines. There was different construction work that people were um, sent to work, uh, forced to work on. Um, you know, our people were used as maids and servants and nannies for rich households and big institutions, especially our kids and women. Uh, they would often be sent off to work in these institutions or these larger households. Um, and, yeah, as well, so like there's a whole lot of stuff I could touch on. Um, sure. I suppose I can just get straight into it if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Yeah, so, the con- so take the plantations, for example. Um, the conditions on these plantations were often very similar to the conditions experienced by slaves in the United States on their slave plantations. Uh, you know, workers were subjected to long hours. They were given inadequate food and medical care. They were often punished brutally for, you know, even minor infractions. Um, many of the workers lived in, you know, squalid conditions, and they had little access to stuff like clean water and basic sanitation. Um, between 1863 and 1904, um, to touch on like some of the other races as well, between 1863 and 1904, there was an estimated something like 62,000 Pacific Islanders who were blackbirded and taken to plantations throughout Queensland and North and New South Wales. Um, they were brought over on indentured servitude agreement, but, you know, once they got here, they were sent straight out to the plantations to be treated as slaves. Uh, their contracts were extended indefinitely, and they had horrendous working living conditions. Um, those Pacific Islanders were brought here by Australians at first, white Australians, that is, um, but later by American slave owners. And there's actually a big connection that a lot of people don't know about between the American slave owners and the Australian plantation. Okay. So back in the mid-1800s, when America was moving towards abolition of slavery, a lot of the really wealthy plantation owners sold their plantation and actually moved to Queensland over here in Australia. Um, on the way across, they stopped in at various different Pacific islands, uh, most notably the South Sea Islands. 
Um, there they, you know, blackbirded mob onto boats and brought them over to Queensland on these false um, agreements that, you know, they would have to work for a few years and then they'll get their freedom. But once they got here, you know, these agreements were just ripped up and these followers were sent off to the plantations alongside us mob to have to slave away. And that's why there is such a, you know, close connection today between um, South Sea Islanders and Blackfellas up in Queensland because of that shared sort of history. But, um, yeah, it wasn't just Pacific Islanders as well. There was also African-Americans who were brought over with some of those slave um, owners from America. And there was also Chinese and Bengali labourers in the Gulf Cities here during the mid to late 1800s. Um, just like the Pacific Islanders, they were brought in on indentured servitude agreements that weren't honoured. Um, those workers end up being subjected to poor working conditions. They had long hours, um, little to no pay, and they also faced you know, massive discrimination from white Australians which quite often led to riots and even massacres. Um, I suppose moving on a little bit from that, though, um, you know, slavery was officially abolished here in 1901 when Australia federated. Um, that being said, though, the use of indentured labour continued on for another six or so years and it was only officially abolished in, I think, 1906 or 1907 um, after a few years of campaigning by different labour unions and activists um, despite this, though, of course, Aboriginal slavery wasn't you know, counted as any form of slavery or indentured servitude, and, you know, our mob was still subject to slavery right up until the 1970s. Um, you know, to touch on a bit of, like, a personal experience, yep. um, before my time, of course, but my grandparents were a part of this, um, you know, we call it stolen wages, but at the end of the day, yeah. you know, let's, be, let's be blunt about it, it's, it's slavery. Yep. You know, when you force somebody to work and you deprive them of payment, that's the definition of slavery. Um, but, yeah, not just my grandparents, even my own mother. Um, you know, three, four years old, she's got memories from when she was three, four years old, being sent out to the bean fields to have to pick beans. And, you know, she'll be out there for 12 hours or more at a time in the hot sun. Um, if they're lucky, they'll get a five-minute break once or twice throughout the day to go down and get a drink of water from the creek, um, if they're lucky. But, yeah, you know... This is the sort of legacy we have here in Australia. And people don't realise that we don't teach it in our schools. We don't talk about it on our media. Um, when people think black slavery, they think America. But it's just as synonymous with Australia as it is with America. Absolutely. And it, it's that's why when we were speaking off air, I was so glad that you, you were mentioning these topics because it simply makes my blood boil. You know, the stolen wages, stolen wages. Yes, it's true. It is stolen wages. But even in this in this inquiry that I was having a look at, it was a submission that I think was made in early 2006. Have you heard of it? The Commission welcomes the committee's inquiry. Many issues involving the underpayment withholding um, of wages earned by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people remain unresolved. And this was put out by the, the, um, the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission. Yeah, and... Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Like, they talk about a stolen wages and as if it's just some, you know, petty little industrial dispute where, you know, a employer hasn't paid their employees in time, but it's it's nothing like that. It's a whole institutionalised event. Well, yeah, because didn't they actually want people to get wiped out? Yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, like, you think about as well how we were classed as fauna and flora for, you know, the main part of the last 200 years. Um, you know, I suppose 
by that logic, in their minds, we weren't slaves because we were animals. You know, you wouldn't consider a cow on a farm or, you know, a chicken in a barn to be a slave. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's quite ridiculous. But, uh, like, even even today, though, this stuff is still ongoing, even today, to a lot of extent. Like, um, you know, when we think about the prison slavery system here in Australia, uh, you know, people like Angela Davis have spoken at length about how the capitalist system just adopts prison slavery after racial slavery gets abolished. And it's no different here in Australia than it is in America yet again. Um, you know, like, look at today, for example, we have our highest percentage... Sorry, Australia has the highest percentage of privately owned prisons anywhere in the world. Like, we've got the highest percentage of privately owned prisoners right here in Australia. And our brothers and sisters get locked up in this system. They get put on labour programs that pay ridiculous amounts per hour. You know, some of them are getting 50 cents an hour or less. You know, um, at most, I think some of them are getting, like, what, $2 an hour for labour. And, you know, how, how can you justify that in any sort of way, 50 cents to $2 an hour, especially when... This, the, our mob that are locked up in there on these prison labour programs, they're being exploited. All the stuff that they're making is getting sent off to big, massive retailers like Fantastic Furniture to sell for full profit, uh, full price, sorry, to you know make massive profits yeah. off of. And it's just another form of black slavery at the end of the day, especially when you consider that we're the most incarcerated race on the planet and that we make up massive amounts of inmates in jail. It's very true. And, you know, you're saying similar to what Marianne McKay from, from WA was saying before you, before this interview. She was talking about exactly the same thing. And and actually, um, there are quite a few people that are saying no to the voice as well. It's not just the Black People's Union. There's quite a few... Um, you know, First Nations people that are very much against it. And, and it is connected, isn't it, to, to May Day and slavery? How can we make those connections? Yeah, well, I mean, like, at the end of the day, everything is connected because it's all connected to our economic system. That's what it all boils down to at the end of the day. Um, even, you know, things like colonisation, imperialism, um, et cetera, et cetera, like the inequality between the genders, between the races, um, all of this stuff, it all ultimately boils down to our economic system. All of the problems we see in society aren't standalone problems. They're just symptoms of one disease, and that one disease is this exploitive, oppressive, capitalist economic system that we all live under. Now, this system has to mobilise itself in such ways where it can continue to exploit the general working class. And by you know coming forward with these different you know like prison labour programs, it allows them to exploit the most vulnerable members of the working class for the maximum amount of profit by, you know, paying them literally scraps. Like, there's nothing else to describe it as except for scraps, especially when they're in prison paying full price for stuff like, you know, basic necessities like soaps and shampoos and toothpaste. Like, could you imagine working a whole day long and at the end of the day you've made enough money to buy a bar of soap or a tube of toothpaste? Wow. Yeah, it's, it's like, that's how ridiculous the it situation is. is here. But, yeah, it ties into things like The Voice as well because, again, like, you know, The Voice is just this paternalistic, tokenistic measure set up by our capitalist government to look as though they're doing something and so they can give themselves a pat on the back. But at the end of the day, it's not going to do anything to improve the material conditions of our mob. It's not going to do anything for those fellows that are locked up in prison working for a dollar an hour. It's not going to do anything for, you know, the mob out in the 
uh, rural and regional areas fighting for their land, fighting for their sacred sites against stuff like mining and logging development. It's not going to do anything to improve anyone's material conditions. All of this is a way for the government to funnel taxes into the pockets of their friends while giving themselves a pat on the back saying, look how great we are, we've solved the Aboriginal issue. Yeah, anyway, it should be the Aboriginal people themselves that it should, uh, should be solving the issues, not the politicians. Yes, 100%, exactly. And that's a big thing we believe uh, um, as part of the BPU. You know, we're all about self-determination. Um, you know, we don't want to be a part of the colonial agenda. We don't want to be a part of the capitalist agenda. We want to be in control of our own affairs and in control of our own economics and our own politics. You're on the speaker's platform for the upcoming rally at 5.30. Do you plan to speak about the Black People's Union and, and tie it into May Day? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll be giving a speech at 5.30. I'm, I'm also the MC for the event. Wonderful. So, um, yeah, I might have a little bit extra to add in here and there. But, yeah, I will be giving a speech uh, just after 5.30 where I'm going to be talking about Australia's role in the broader um, imperialist domination of America and the UK throughout the world and, um, you know, what we can do here in Australia to try and resist that. Do you have the pamphlet on you for about the rally? Um, I do not, sorry. No, but, that's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll announce the speakers uh, later. Um, yeah, I've got a bit of a list here. Um, I'll, I'll look it up later. But um, anyway, rock up. I mean, I believe there are a couple of spe- uh, people from Bangladesh um, who is from the garment industry, and there's, yep. um, there's, a, there's also stuff they're talking about migrant issues as well. Yeah, we've got a few different groups from across the world who have um, all come down and they're going to be giving various different speeches about the different struggles their own people are facing elsewhere in the world. Listeners may remember that Karen actually came onto the show a couple of weeks ago and spoke about the Voice to Parliament. Um, Karen, do you have any, any final comments that you wanted to make about that or, or just about slavery in general? Um, oh, look, I've spoken plenty on the Voice. Um, I might just quickly mention something on slavery, though. Yep. Um, one quick thing I did want to bring up is just the stolen wages campaigns that have gone ahead. Um, you know, they're in various different states. There have been class actions that have been lodged against many of these individual state governments to try and seek some sort of compensation for these stolen wages. Now, you know, while I recognise this as having a wonderful potential in that it is, you know, a way to try and seek some sort of compensation and some sort of, um, I suppose you could say, for lack of a better term, reconciliation around this sort of stuff. At the end of the day, the way it's set up as well is just another farce. Like, there's no other word to explain it. They're set up in highly restrictive ways where quite often um, descendants of people who are a part of those, you know, stolen wages about slavery, um, they're not able to claim on behalf of their ancestors. Um, If their ancestors have passed away then that's it, like that family is no longer um, entitled to claim for anything. And, then we, you know, when we think about the impact of intergenerational wealth and how this is just another way to deprive blackfellas from building intergenerational wealth, and even the blackfellas that were successful with this claim, um, in Queensland, for example, they got $190 million as a part of a big class action against the stolen wages. Um, this was divided between 10,000 people. Now, when you divide $190 million by 10,000 people, it works out to about $19,000 each. Now, $19,000 isn't even close to a minimum yearly wage, but yet this is meant to compensate for, you know, some people that's compensating for a whole entire lifetime of slavery. And this is the sort of scrap that they're still giving, even to even today.
That's actually a really fantastic point that you've made there that it actually looks good on paper, doesn't it? But it's yeah. just the crumbs. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like people read $190 million and they think, oh, wow, that's a lot of money. But by the time you divide it between the people who are actually eligible for it, they're getting less than half of what is our minimum yearly wage. And that's for a lifetime of work. You know what I mean? Like this is how ridiculous and ongoing it is. It really is, and it, and it really goes back to when we had our Aboriginal children at three years old having a criminal record just for being Aboriginal, and then from then onwards, made yep. it, they were yeah, slaves. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's all tied in together. Happy May Day. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Well, I want to wish you the very best for the rally and, you know, you're very welcome to come onto the show at any time. This show is here to provide a safe environment for our Indigenous brothers and sisters and also, indeed, people from all marginalised communities. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to come back on. Um, I'll get in touch with you and sort out a time and day. That'll be awesome. Well, thank you so much and, and good luck with the rally. So anybody who wants to go to the rally, go to the State Library of Victoria, 328 Swanson Street. Yep. Melbourne. And it's at the front, is it? Main entrance? Yeah, yeah, right at the right on the corner across from Melbourne Central. Fantastic. Okay, well, um we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Oh sorry, before you, you go, Bye. sorry, um can yeah. you just tell us what land you're from? Oh yep, yeah, I'm from the UN Nation. It's on the south coast of New South Wales. It's always good to let listeners know because it's not about suburbs. You know, we've we've got to let people know where they come from, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thanks so much. No worries. Take care. Bye-bye. And that was Karen from the Black People's Union, and he spoke about slavery and stolen wages and looked quite a lot at the true Aboriginal history of this country. And it's approximately 4.34. In case you've just tuned in, this is 3CR Community Radio, and this is the Do and Time show, and it's a special broadcast um, for May Day. The Uruk Justice Commission is the first formal truth-telling inquiry into injustice experienced by First Peoples in Victoria. From Thursday, April 27 to Friday, May 12, Uruk is holding public hearings to question Victorian government ministers, senior bureaucrats and Chief Commissioner of Victoria Police about injustice against First Peoples in the child protection and criminal justice systems. You can watch the hearings online or make a submission at urukjusticecommission.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Gather round people, I'll tell you a story, an eight year long story of power and pride. British Lord Vesta and Vincent Lingyari were opposite men on opposite sides. Vesti was fat, money and muscle, beef was his business, broad was his door. Vincent was lean, spoke very little, he had no bank balance, our dirt was his floor. From the 
things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. The Ringy were working for nothing but rations, but once they had gathered the wealth of the land, daily the pressure got tighter and tighter. The Ringy decided they must make a stand. They picked up their swags, started off walking at Waddy Creek. They sat themselves down. Now it don't sound like much, but it sure got tongues talking back at the homestead, then in the town. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. Investing man said, "I'll double your wages." Seven quid a week you have in your hand. Vincent said, "Uh-uh, we're not talking about wages. We're staying right here till we get our land." Festy man rode, festy man thundered. You don't stand a chance of a cinder in snow. Vincent said, "If we fall, others are rising from new things. Big things grow." From little things, big things grow. Vincent Lignari, he boarded an airplane, landed in Sydney, big city of lights, and daily he went round softly, speaking his story to all kinds of men from all walks of life. Vincent sat down with them big politicians. This affair, they told him, it's a matter of state. Let us sort it out. Why your people are hungry? Vincent said, No thanks. We know how to wait. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. If you're in it, this is all about reconciliation. So get at it. We want to hear you. Vincent Lignari returned in an airplane back to his country once more to sit down, and he told his people, "Let the stars keep on turning. We got friends in the south, in the cities and towns." Eight years went by, eight long years of waiting, till one day a tall stranger appeared in the land. And he came with lawyers, came with great ceremony, threw Vincent's fingers on that handful of sand. Go from little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things grow.
a story of Vincent Lignari, but this is a story, something so much more. How power and privilege cannot move a people who know where they stand when they stand in their law. wonderful song really ties into the interviews that have been broadcasted today. So important to hear Kev Carmody and, and Paul Kelly who who are just um, really amazing and speaks speak about things so clearly. I wanted to actually read out a statement, a quick statement from the Melbourne Anarchist Communist Group and I was just having a look at some of the material talking about the origins of May Day and this is just such a really good statement and it really stood out for me so I'm just going to read it out. The origins of May Day. On the 1st of May 1886, unions in Chicago, heavily influenced by the American anarchist movement, went on strike for the eight-hour day. A worker was shot dead by a cop so a protest was called for 4th May. After an identified person threw a bomb, the police started shooting. When the dust settled, seven cops and at least four civilians were dead. Some of the cops had probably died from friendly fire. A huge anti-anarchist campaign ensued, and eight anarchists were convicted in a kangaroo court. The state killed four, while one committed suicide. The labour movement started a campaign for for the exoneration of the Haymarket Martyrs, and eventually succeeded. In the process, May Day became the day of the international workers' movement. The workers' movement today. We continue to spend most of our waking lives working for bosses who enrich themselves at our expense. Governments maintaining the interests of capitalism continue to enact policies which which are hurtling us to climate destruction. The capitalists use their media companies to scapegoat most vulnerable migrants, refugees, the LGBT community. Meanwhile, the one real weapon we have at our disposal to fight for our own interests, our unions, are tied down by a thousand anti-worker laws and integrated as far as possible into the state. In industrialised countries, the established union movement continues its long decline, This is especially true in Australia. For decades, union leaders have told members to put their hopes in governments and not in the power to strike. They are unwilling to face the reality that rights are taken and not grant and not for granted. That it has sorry that rights are taken and not granted. That it has always been direct action within or outside the law, 
and the threat of revolution which produces change in our favour and not changes in government. Declining union density is not reason to shrink from the task of taking such bold action. Indeed, the cowardice of the union officials contributes significantly to the decline in membership. In France, where union density is even lower than here in Australia, the working class is in open rebellion against the bosses and their puppet, President Macron, as they attempt to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64. If the movement fails, it will only be because the union leadership has done everything to limit the movement and to avoid the indefinite strike. One solution, revolution. No government can save us. Only the working class free itself. We need to make a revolution. We need to overthrow capitalism and build libertarian communism worldwide. For this, the labour movement needs to be built anew. We need to organise in the workplace and rebuild our unions from the ground up. We need rank-and-file control. The practices by which we build our movement will be the ones that form the basis of the new society. Workers of the world unite. I just thought that it was a really good statement and it talked a lot about the origins of May Day and how that happened. Having, having read that, though, do please turn up on Sunday to um, Trades Hall because there's a there's a wonderful march and um, and it is really important to stay with our unions and you know it, it is true membership has declined in the union and unions in Australia do need to stand up to government so that statement is is terribly important and it really looks at the fact that we could lose all our all our rights if um, if we lose hope in the unions. It's approximately 4.46 and I'm hoping that this broadcast has given listeners food for thought Uh, and I am just going to play another song. But before I do that, I wanted to to really thank both of our guests, Marianne and and, uh, Karen, for coming onto the show. I have tried to make this show Aboriginal-led today with our interviews because... Stolen wages and slavery are not talked about very much at all, and it's it's a very it's a very very difficult topic for for a lot of media. When the night upsets me And my bad dreams won't let me Get to sleep at all The whole night through When the darkness surrounds me and all my demons just tell me I that's when I call and reach for you You have always seen me through with all the times I've cried I don't know what 
This is 3CR Community Radio May Day broadcast and that was um, Archie Roach, the beautiful Archie Roach who, as we know, has passed on. Um, We're nearing the end of our show. Just quickly, um, I just wanted to just talk about the rally. There is coverage of the rally at 6 o'clock at 3CR if you can't go and you want to listen. Um, Also, Karen is emceeing, President of Black People's Union, and some of the speakers are Abbas who is from the Voice of Revolution Iran, Melbourne, Marisol um, from Lasnet, Solidarity, Luke Hayes, Australian Communist Party, and Tassila um, from the Bangladesh Garment Workers Solidarity. So there's quite a few speakers and, and more. Um, it's goodbye from Marissa and happy May Day once again. And stay tuned every Monday for the Doing Time show from 4 to 5. And do listen out also for Climate Action, who's next. And they'll be doing a special May Day broadcast. And listen out for um, other May Day coverage, and in particular with the rally. Blackfella, Whitefella from Rumpy Band is, is ending the show. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.
Are you 